Good day, mate. Good day, mate. So, Australia. Yeah. I, I feel like I have to ask the question I ask during every place-specific episode, which is, if we were aliens and oh, right. this was our only exposure to Australia, is these two movies, what do we think about Earth? We think that it sounds like people talk backwards. But the people who talk clearly, the so-called Americans, if we go by the Australians' point of view, we hate them. Yeah. Yeah, Americans aren't really well-liked everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm only just learning this now. Up, right. up until this point, I had no idea that we were not well-liked. Uh, I assumed everybody loved America. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the rest of the world. I know, right? <laughs> um, no, I would think if if I was an alien watching these two movies, I would think Australia is a really dangerous place. If it's not the wildlife that gets you, it's the ballroom drama. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, I the threat of physical violence is equal whether you are in the Australian wilderness or in a ballroom dance competition. Um, there's actually an equal chance that you would die. Yeah. Uh, ballroom dancing is no joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I also think that, um, if again, if I were an alien, I would assume from these two movies that parenthood makes you crazy because yeah. both parent, like any parent character in both movies acted insane. Yeah, the parents in Rogue were fine up until one <laughs> pivotal part of the movie when they just went nuts. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, in Strictly Ballroom, they were just nuts right. the entire yeah, time. Yeah, just plain old nuts. <laughs> so let's, let's get into these nuts. Before we dive in, what is it we do here? What are we? Well, we are Necromancer. And what we do is each week we review two movies. Uh, Shira picks the rom-com and I pick the horror movie. And then um, not only do we watch and review those two movies, but we also do a little swippity swap. Ooh, a little switcheroony. Yeah, and we uh, we come up with whole brand new movies where we mix the genres up. That's exactly right. We do a remix, and I'm ex- I'm super excited for Rogue the Rom Com. Yeah. Oh, and and um, I I didn't do so well in my Strictly Ballroom yeah, horror, but me I I well I'm still excited anyway. Right. I, I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. So where do you want to start? Let's start with Ballroom, Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom. Yeah. All right. So Strictly Ballroom. Yeah, let me get out my notes here. Uh, so this is a pretty crazy movie. Um, this you want to summarize? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it moves very quickly, It actually. does move pretty quickly. Um, this is a Baz Luhrmann film. 
And um, he did Moulin Rouge and Romeo plus Juliet for ooh. people who remember. I don't remember either of those two movies. You, you didn't see the Leonardo. I've DiCaprio? seen them both. Oh, but I don't. But you remember. just don't remember yeah, them. I don't. Um, but this movie has a lot of personality in it. Oh yeah, I feel like Boz Lerman is kind of like Australian. Um, What's his name? Is it Jacques Demy that does the really colorful French musicals? Like, oh, I don't know um, about French musicals. Um, but yeah, he's like, like if you've never seen a Baz Luhrmann film, he's like bombastic, yeah. colorful. Like, there's like, there's so many like, like huge red backdrops, right. like in multiple scenes. Like, if there was an opportunity to have a really lush red backdrop, it's like it's there. It's there for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the scenic work in this movie. I mean, I imagine it was a pretty low budget movie, but it's I think pretty, it's the first one. Yeah. It, it, they they put their money on the screen for sure um so strictly ballroom we open with scott hastings dancing with his partner liz uh we then start cutting back and forth with a bunch of older people talking about how scott was the shoe-in to win that day and if only it hadn't happened and what is it it is Scott's wildly improvised and flashy dance moves. It's not strictly ballroom. <laughs> no, Scott is not strictly. Do they, they say that in the movie, don't they? It, multiple times. I think, yeah. Uh, Scott's spontaneous serenade costs him the competition. And all the traditionalists are upset with Scott, including his own dance partner, who would rather dance with ballroom dancing's poster boy, Ken. Uh, even though he's got a little bit of a, a wild streak of his own. I feel like in the American version of Strictly Ballroom, Ken is played by Will Ferrell. Yeah. This movie did remind me of, um, what was the ice skating movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. I Blades don't of Glory? Yeah, Blades of, yeah, it did have a Blades of Glory feel. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, uh, Liz even wishes that Scott, that Ken's partner, Pam, would break both her legs so that she could take her spot. And wouldn't you know it, Pam breaks both her legs, and Ken asks Liz to be his dance partner. This leaves Scott partnerless. And this is where Fran comes in. Fran is an eager ballroom beginner who embraces Scott's wild style. And at first, Scott turns her down, but she convinces Scott for an hour of his time. And by the end of it, the two develop a strong connection. A tundra. A tundra. What? What? Oh, tundra is like a fancy word for having feelings for each other. Each other. Oh, I didn't know that. Did they say that in the movie? No, I, no. I just, I wanted to say it to be is dramatic. It, is it a strictly dancing thing? Well, or the, is it a rom-com thing? That's what they say. I'll let you finish the summary, but that's what they say. Just a side note. That's what he says at first. That's like an important piece where he's like, you know, it's just dancing, oh, Fran. Yeah. It's not real. It's not real, but he doesn't say that later. No. In fact, <laughs> he specifically says, remember that time I said that? <laughs> well, I think I was wrong. Uh at another dance competition, word gets out that dancing superstar Tina Sparkles' pristinish dance partner is retiring, leaving her without a partner and a perfect candidate for Scott. Scott's family congratulates him on this new news that he doesn't know while Fran is surrounded by them. 
But when Fran figures out everyone is happy for Scott because of Tina, she runs away. Scott finds her backstage and the two dance in a super sexy dance while everyone watches. At the end of the dance, Fran falls and Scott's family and friends convince her to leave so Scott can have a chance at winning the Pan Pacific Championship. She just had a boo-boo. Uh, yeah. Just a, yeah, they put a, they even like their first aid is putting a band-aid on it. Like kiss it and make it better. Uh, Scott, though, continues to pursue Fran, even back to her house where Fran's father convinces him to show him what he's got. Scott is Fran's family is Spanish. I feel like that's important. Oh, yeah, yeah. that is true. Um, um, Scott is laughed off by Fran's family, and Fran's father shows him how to really dance. Pasa doble, bitch. Scott starts to take lessons from the family while he and Fran get closer and closer as they spend more and more time practicing with each other. However, dancing mogul and fervent traditionalist Barry Fife meets up with Scott and lets Scott know that this is where it gets weird. <laughs> and lets Scott know that his father used to be the most bestest ballroom dancer in all the land. In fact, he could have won the Pan Pacific Tournament if it weren't for his own crazy quote-unquote new moves he guilts scott into choosing the trophy over the passion and we cut to the pan pacific tournament where scott has chosen to dance with tina oh no fran no he dances with liz actually oh yeah yeah yeah. tina ends up dancing with the alcoholic australian will ferrell that's right um yeah tina he let tina get away but luckily Ken drops Liz in order to dance with Tina, so now Liz is back searching for her old partner. Um, so Scott chooses Liz because obviously they have good chemistry. Motherfucker. Oh, God damn it. Fran is also at the dance, dancing with the beginners. Scott still has feelings for Fran, and his father confi- confides in him that he could that he should dance with his heart. In the end, Barry turns out to be this Machiavellian bad guy who manipulated everyone into dancing traditionally, and Scott goes and finds Fran, and the two dance together in the final competition. However, this upsets Barry, who tries to interrupt the couple. After some hijinks, one of the other judges pulls the plug on the music, and Barry finally gets a hold of the microphone and announces Scott and his partner have been disqualified. But Scott's father starts the most... Slowest of slow claps. <laughs> it was a really slow, slow clap, and it took a while to build to the necessary rhythm yes. that was needed for them to continue dancing. Yeah, he he really drew that slow clap out. But the rest of the I would go so far as to say the rest of the audience really let him down because he <laughs> did what was necessary to start the slow clap. They just were slow to the update. They weren't really joiners, these Australians. No. <laughs> Um, so the father starts the slow clap and the couple finds the rhythm in the clap and dances to a beat of their own. The music starts back up and everyone is going nuts for Scott and Fran. After the dance, the families and fans storm the dance floor and the winner of the tournament is not announced since dancing is about heart, not trophies. I completely forgot about that. Like, I guess I'm the target audience for this movie because the fact that no winner was announced didn't matter to me at all. Right. And I forgot about it until you mentioned it. That would be like, what if Rocky ended 
And there was no announce. No winner was announced. I mean, but Rocky is such a. It would be impossible to imagine a Rocky outcome or or like climax to a Rocky film that doesn't have someone winning. Right. Like in the first Rocky, Rocky loses, but that's like super important. But it doesn't to the matter point. because doesn't he went matter. all the rounds. That's right. Against the champ. <laughs> right? No, yeah. no, that's exactly yeah. right. I yeah, I'm glad that Rocky's we, a good we, movie. No, Rocky, except for that one rape. That one part where he gets part? a little bit rapey with Adrian, yeah. Yeah, but That's... but I mean, she wanted it. Yeah, no. she did. She really did. <laughs> no. I mean, I can't really speak to that, but I I think that's I. You know what's interesting is I as a school assignment in middle. I think it was in middle school or early high school. Our reading comp teacher had us read the Rocky script because he was like, "This will make the kids want to read." And so, yeah, one of my first script reading experiences, well, really the first, I read the Rocky script by Sylvester Stallone. So, yeah, no, he's he's legit, but so is Baz Luhrmann. But, yeah, in in this case, it definitely, like, like not knowing who won was totally essential to the message of the movie. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, and then... I didn't feel cheated at the end of it. But they really, I feel like they set that up really well going going into it because they, Fran and Scott, were dancing together with full knowledge that their new moves weren't going to win. Right. But but that they were just going to do it anyway. So we were always kind of rooting for that type of end, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was more about their dance than the, than, than the actual trophy. What did you think of, well, this is our first dance movie, possibly, I'll warn you, possibly not the last, (laughs) Um, because there are a whole lot of actually dancing wrong, there's not a lot of dance horror, like dancing and horror. Yeah, Black Swan, I (laughs) definitely channeled some Black Swan vibes. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's that's a great angle to go with. I I went with a completely different <laughs> angle, but I should have thought of the black swan angle. Yeah. Um I mean, I know there's horror movies about dancers like I mean, obviously big one Suspiria. Oh yeah. Um but there aren't like horror movies that feature dance set pieces where right. it's like this is the part of the horror movie where Michael dances with Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, or, yeah. oh, no, but actually in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he does a lot of dancing. Oh, yeah. Leatherface. And, um... But he can't pas a doble. No, no. He's got more <laughs> of a, a hillbilly shuffle. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like more of a traditional waltzer. Yeah. Leatherface, I would say. Um, he would have been fine with keeping the steps traditional. Like I'm assume I, I'm assuming that part of that is like inbred into him. Oh, like thousands his, of years his southern, of inbreeding. His, <laughs> oh, I thought it was because he's southern and he went to Cotillion. Oh, Did you, it could you, be a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, dancing compared with singing, though, I'll ask you that because I know what you think of musicals. But you can tell everyone else too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but um, you know, I like I like the Muppets. The Muppets musicals are really good. 
That's true. Um, Singing in the Rain is actually a pretty good movie. Ooh, but that is a dance movie, too. That's more of a dance movie than... um, I mean, it is a musical, too. Like, they've got some good just pieces that are just about the music. But, like, the huge piece in the middle of the movie is literally all just about dance. Right. The song is called Wanna Dance. Yeah. I don't know. I thought Baz Luhrmann did a good job with this. The dancing. I mean, clearly the actors know how to dance, so that helps. Oh, they were really good. Yeah, and um, a lot of the shots were really like pulled back and wide enough so that you could tell what was going on. It wasn't overly edited, um, which was really nice. So. Oh yeah, they had like I really liked the scene that like I mean I like the song time after time already. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I liked they had that really pretty set piece with right. them dancing to time after time in yeah. front of a sparkly sequined Coca Cola oh, yeah. billboard. And did you notice that on the clothesline were like every single piece of clothing was a different primary color? No, I yeah. didn't. So pick like on, it was like it was clearly like like the set was dressed to be very colorful to the right. eye. And I mean it looks very fake, but I think I've said here on the past that I probably I hate realism, let's be honest. Yeah, the fact uh, that it looks fake <laughs> added into that sort of grandiose musical vibe. Yeah, I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. I wish that there were more... I mean, maybe you don't wish there were more dance movies. I might be (laughs) alone in this. Like, I don't feel like even though La La Land drew a lot of attention... Right. I feel like like it had, like, the color pop thing that Baz Luhrmann did with this film... But, I mean, sorry, that Brian. Movie, that movie didn't have a lot of dancing in it, though. It didn't did have it? enough dancing. Yeah. And I don't think that the actors, no offense, are really great enough dancers to, like, carry. Right. Like, And it was meant, like, that movie was meant to be, like, like I think Boz Lerman is also doing, like, a little bit of an homage to, like, old dance movies like Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. And, right. And, like, maybe even, like, Jacques Demi, too. Um, and like the young girls of, it's like Ro- Rochefort, or I can't say French words, um, but I feel like he did it better than, I don't know, like I, maybe I just hate La La Land, <laughs> but there's like so much that didn't work in that movie, and I felt like they're like drawing from the same well. But, mm-hmm. like, this movie's so playful and yeah. fun, and there's, like, the generational element where you don't want to just see Scott and Fran succeed and fall in love. You also get to see the redemption of Scott's dad. Right. Because he's got that similar independent spirit. Yeah. And pretty much everyone gets excused during the movie except for Barry Fife. You think so? Yeah, because then there's that part where it's like even the uncle, the bad guy, the uncle who was the bad guy who made mm-hmm. Scott's mom dance with him at the at the big Pan Pacific Championship. Even he was like, but Barry, you told me that that's what the dad wanted. That's true. He does he does get excused. And yeah. I and I feel like, you know, Barry even at the end like his like co-host wife or whoever she is picks him up again and 
Yeah, like everybody ends the movie on pretty good terms. Yeah. Um, I liked seeing um, Scott's partner, Liz, dance with Franz. Is it her dad or her uncle? It's unclear. He's just an older male relative that's never fleshed out. I think it's her dad. Oh, you think so? I think so. But I also could be just as equally convinced that it's her uncle or Mm -hmm. her grandfather or... (laughs) Whoever. But yeah, so Liz dances with Fran's dad, and then um, Fran's grandma dances with Les. Yeah. I thought that was cute. Yeah, everyone got their own little partner. Yeah, it was very cute. I I don't know. I I enjoy Strictly Ballroom. I I saw this movie when I was really young. They used to play it on TV all the time. Really? Uh, And I mean, I was just enough of a latchkey kid where like I was watching the same movie channels right. all day and seeing it um and I just always thought it was really charming and just like I like that again it's it's not realist at all it's very much like a little Australian fairy tale yeah it feels very amateurish in the way that like have you ever seen Peter Jackson's movie Dead Alive no, but oh, I've seen the poster where the skull is coming out of someone's mouth. Yes. Is that, yeah, yeah that yeah. creeped me out as a kid. But then when I finally watched the movie, oh, I was in love with it. Uh, Dead Alive is so great. Um, but that's the same kind of vibe where Dead Alive is New Zealand and this is Australia. But they both have this like really frenetic energy where it almost feels like each take that they did was like the director was just constantly shouting at them like we've only got 20 more minutes left of light go 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 and it's just like uh there's just this energy in every scene where it's like are we doing it right i don't know like we're running out of film we only have one take to do this let's get it right i feel like scott's mom embodies that yeah. energy she's nuts <laughs> she's so nuts she goes from um, she's like on coke yeah she goes from like day. hysterics to blank stares back to hysterics in the blink of an eye my favorite part is the way they filmed her crossing the days off on the calendar and then she gets so distressed that like the crosses get more frenetic like you're saying and then she just crumples the calendar page in her hand and shakes it yeah it was a weird device um all around but um yeah just those weird like I like how all the dancing scenes were really wide back and pulled back, but then mm-hmm. a lot of the like melodramatic scenes were oh, really like close-ups. extreme close-ups. Or like I feel like yeah. not like necessarily like a Dutch angle, but like, like low really, ang- yeah. low angles. So like especially Scott's mom would look like she's like looming over you like a bird of prey. Right. It was really bizarre. Um, I like bizarre. Yeah, it was good. Um, I liked. Um, yeah, a lot of the evil plotting by by Barry Fife in the. Oh yeah, they put him in some shadows. Yeah, yeah, that low angle right up in his face. It really makes everything kind of jump out and seem more exaggerated. Oh yeah, and then I remember in the beginning of the movie they used these like like kung fu fighting foley effects for Scott's (laughs) dancing. (laughs) Then I thought was like a nice touch too. Like yeah, you gotta 
whip out some of those uh, <laughs> chopsticks breaking. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but I wonder, so like you like called out like Peter Jackson having this kind of frenetic energy and then like obviously Boz Lerman with this. And then I feel like Taika Waititi is like a New Zealand director and... Mm-hmm. And like, didn't we see, I think we saw together Hunt for the Wilder People, right? No. Or it was, it had Sam Neill in it. Horror, horror, um, whatever, super actor right. <laughs> Sam Neill. Um, but I feel like Taika Waititi kind of has like a similar thing where his movies are really imaginative, right. frenetic, not really caring about realism necessarily just like trying to go like big 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 is that like do you think that's like a thing for directors down under yeah i'm trying to think like the mad max movies oh yeah the mad max movies are wild too yeah um yeah i don't know it just seems like like they they have a gimmick Right, like these are very exploitationy type films because they yes. have a gimmick and they lean into that gimmick, and they do the gimmick really well. Peter Jackson does the the splatter fest gimmick really, really well in Dead Alive. George, um, what's his name, the guy who did Mad Max. Uh, I feel bad for George not something. remembering. Uh, I just keep wanting to say Romero, even though right. that's not <laughs> at is. all his name. Uh, but he does, you know, he does like crazy road chases really well. And this movie does oh, yeah. dancing really well. Good like, practical effects, too. Yeah, I thought the um, the dance scene where they're behind the stage dancing while the other couple oh, is yeah. dancing. Like, I thought that one was really well done because... Like, this super famous couple is dancing on stage, and then everyone's drawn to the backstage drama. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's per- it's yeah, a it was really, con- really well done. Yeah, like, it, it was, like, a perfect way to, like, just show everything, mm-hmm. like, plot-wise happening in that moment without right. saying anything at all. And then, like, great music choice, too, with um, Perhaps, 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 oh, yeah, which is, like, yeah. this, like, slow classic song it's it's really good <laughs> yeah i um yeah i was really impressed by this movie really okay mm-hmm. i'm i'm glad because <laughs> i know that i've so... subjected you uh, misery style to right. some movies that were hard <laughs> um but yeah harder I mean, than martyrs <laughs> this movie was like this movie was definitely laughable but it also had so much earnestness in it that it was like I couldn't tell if I was laughing at the movie or with the movie, and at a certain point, I just didn't really care. Right. I feel like you can do both with this movie, yeah. and like at the end of the day, like even if you were someone who laughed at the characters, all of those characters get redeemed and humanized by the right. end. So like you really like whatever your position is, you end the movie feeling for everyone. Yeah, but the story the story is like, um, it's like a a spoof of dance. You know what I mean? But it, never does it go into spoof territory. It's not like the true lies of dance movies. Yeah, or or like or like this is Spinal Tap or something because right. like they have the whole mockumentary thing yeah, they at drop the beginning that and then they totally drop yeah. it um by the end. 
um, like they only had that as a device for the beginning. I right. think that it would be more spoof-like if they maintain that yeah. device through the whole movie, and it's like kind of like a waiting for Guffman type of deal, right. um, or Best in Show. But they they didn't do that. Um, like they immediately went into like humanizing the characters. I kind of like I wish that like Boz Lerman like he's done so many like big show PC like he's a big Hollywood director now he's done like the great Gatsby and all that stuff I'd like to see him do something more personal again yeah. like this movie because it seems like they had a lot of fun I don't know or maybe not no I I <laughs> totally agree with you um it's kind of like Robert Rodriguez in that realm like I was a huge mm-hmm. fan of Robert Rodriguez's earlier films but now that he's kind of gone on to do like battle leader angel oh yeah i forgot that that was him yeah just you know some of the bigger budget stuff the sin city sequel was all right and yeah it like i don't know it just is like what if you went back to making i know that he did do that recently he went back and made a seven thousand dollar movie again but I don't know if it's available anywhere. Yeah, it's I think I've seen do more Mexican stuff. Like that was like yeah. one of the cool like angles with um from Dust Till Dawn, right? right. Yeah. Um where like I think like like isn't like the vampire strip club like on top of like a Mayan pyramid or yeah. something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, at the end they pull out. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think that was really cool. Like I would totally love to see him do something that's like like hyper local to texas or something like that like texas vampires or but so like i'm not a huge boz lerman fan i mean i didn't like australia i never saw (laughs) australia i I, (laughs) yeah i didn't like uh what was the one that you just mentioned moulin rouge no i I, but i didn't really like moulin rouge um oh the great gatsby yeah i didn't like the great gatsby i actually haven't seen it because i I've read The Great Gatsby in college and I wrote about it a lot and I was afraid I would be mad when I saw the movie. Maybe. I've never read the book, so I didn't have anything to go off It's a good book. It's short. (laughs) Sure. I like short. Yeah, Um, no, it's short, but it is very smarmy. Like, a lot of the Great Gatsby people are smarmy rich folk. Yeah, definitely a, a, a smarmy movie. Um, but no, even like watching this movie as a non Boz Lerman fan, I was like, oh man, he should do more movies like this again. Because mm-hmm. if I saw any movie with this just crazy level of like in your faceness, I'm a big fan of in your faceness. It, it even reminded me a lot of um, Texas Chainsaw 2, which you oh, yeah. name dropped earlier. Just like you could tell that it was just a bunch of inexperienced people who didn't really know what they were doing. Got a bunch of money together and said, "Yeah, we'll just make a movie. We don't care." And but it's fun, like, and it doesn't have to be realistic, and it doesn't even have to like. Again, like I feel like realism is super overrated. I feel like it's you can make the intentions or the emotions of the story come across and still be big and loud and entertaining. Right. And, like, I think especially with the relationship with the parents, like, you got that, too, because they seemed like they were total characters. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, you were like, ah, I want these two to make up and and be a good couple again. Like, you're rooting for them. Yeah, it was nice when the father took the mother's hand and they started dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody Everybody comes out onto (laughs) the dance floor at the end. 
but yeah, I'd like to see, I'd like to see more, more personal stuff like, mm-hmm. like that or fun. But like I, Romeo plus Juliet is definitely like that, like in your face. Um, I think that's why, and I mean, not just because of Leonardo DiCaprio, but like it came right. out at the perfect time for him and for Boz Lerman, for everybody to just like right. seize onto that movie. Like if you were a teenager during that time, probably likely you loved that movie (laughs) or a teenage girl sorry um yeah no i totally agree with you so oh boy so 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 should we get into these horror pitches yeah let's do it let's do it do you want to go first um why don't you go first i'm still trying to think of a name for mine i'm going completely nameless for this one yeah yeah, I, I, so I, I changed my name. At first I was like, Ballroom of Blood, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, obviously the most, the most obvious one is yeah, what I thought I of re- Blood Room. <laughs> blood Room. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know about that. Bloody feet. <laughs> and then I just called it Midnight Ballroom. But I feel okay. like it could be, it could be anything. Yeah. Um, I like, I can't wait for us to get to my Rogue alternate title. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with that one. So, first act. Uh, Fran is a powerful witch, part of a clan of traveling Spanish brujas that collect the souls of good dancers to make them, the clan, immortal. Uh, And then in order for Fran to fully come into her power, she's, you know, a junior member of the Mm -hmm. clan, unlike her, her dad and her grandmother, she must steal the soul of her first dancer and sacrifice him on the full moon. So she begins by going undercover at a dance school in the area, and then she singles out Scott as having the strongest life force. Whoa. Uh, and then she makes her first step to getting closer to Scott by making a voodoo doll of Scott's partner, Liz, and then she makes Liz jump off of the dance school building. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after Scott conveniently no longer has a partner, and he's such a great dancer, no one else will do, she then convinces him similarly to the first movie to make her his new partner. So now we're getting into the middle act where we're getting into montage territory. Fran and Scott practice. And then she uses her magic to make his dancing better, but he starts to notice like some Cronenbergian side effects. Like mm-hmm. maybe he's got like gross toes and yeah. nightmares that are real fleshy. Again, Cronenbergian. Um, <laughs> I, I just like using that as an <laughs> adjective. Um, and then also Fran starts to seem to look younger, but she doesn't look younger because it's a rom-com and it's inevitable that she's just going to have a slow makeover. It's, she's stealing Scott's life force right. and it's making her more beautiful. Uh, I also watched Hocus Pocus fairly recently. I've so. never seen that movie. <laughs> You've never I've seen? never seen it. <laughs> Shit. Well, we need to talk about that later. Um, it's a good, it's a good kid's horror movie like if you were like a starter horror movie um but (laughs) so fran starts to feel bad about what she's doing to scott but then she has a heart to heart with her uh bruja grandmother and the grandmother reminds her that this is her destiny 
Uh, mm-hmm. Fran also gets an extra push when she learns that Scott was considering switching her for another dancer, Tina fucking Sparkles. <sighs> um, so Fran curses Tina, who dies by being attacked by stray cats. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I can yep, see yep, that yep, scene. Yep. Yep. So, like, I mean, not, not a high death count. Maybe, like, one, one murder per act. Right. Um, so now we get to the climax, Act 3. The big dance competition just so happens to fall on the same date as the full moon, the date of the ritual. Fran lures Scott to her family's ritual sacrifice space. It's probably like a cave or something. Uh, And they trick him into thinking that they're going to the competition, but she leads him there. And then Scott dreams that he and Fran... Oh man, I can't believe I put in an it was a dream moment when I don't even like that. I did that twice now, but I will justify these as being choices that only happened in the third act. Everything up into that moment was real. It's only one part where they think it's all a dream. Right. It's still bad if you make your whole movie all a dream. Um, so he's dreaming that they're having that wonderful moment in the dance competition. They're like doing their awesome dance. But in reality, he's been tied to a giant stone wheel and positioned over the light of the full moon. Uh, Fran cries as she cuts open Scott's chest oh, no. and pulls out his heart. She doesn't want to do it, but she's got to do it. She has to. She's got to do it. Um, she pulls out his heart and then the clan eats the heart together. The ritual is complete. Scott is dead and Fran is granted immortality with the rest of the clan, but they they do still have to keep killing dancers, just to be clear. Um, She feels sad at first, but then um, maybe like a few days later, she sees a man similar to Scott dancing at a competition and then she follows him home. So it just keeps going. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, I like that little uh, callback to the, to the um, when uh, when Liz wishes that the partner got both her legs broken. <laughs> yeah, like she... she wishes it, and then it just comes true. <laughs> Using a voodoo doll in that scenario is is very good. Yeah, I decided like maybe I was thinking of Suspiria, but I was like dancing right. witches. <laughs> Did you see the new one? I have not seen the new one. I heard it was really boring. It was so boring. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm more mad when a movie is boring than when it's a bad movie. Right. Like to me that's worse than being bad. So you did not like Rogue. <laughs> no. Um well oh I, I actually we'll get into it. Right. I have problems with Rogue and ninety nine percent of them have to do with Michael Varton. Okay. Um, gotcha. and not the plot of the movie, but uh, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, no, yeah. I like your version. Uh, I, I too had trouble making mine. And so, um, the one thing that I really wanted to stick with was like dancing and like, yes. how do you make dancing scary? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why there are no dance horror movies. Right. And that's why I had to channel a little bit of black swan in here um but it's so it's about scott who's a famous dancer and he has famous dancer parents so you know you have to establish the fact that there's a dance tournament coming up i just went with pan pacific tournament so um, gotta use the pan pacific right, tournament. got to 
Um, in this one, I figured like every year the Pan Pacific Tournament is at a different location. And, mm, that makes sense. And Scott's family is like so rooted in the community that that you know once every ten years the tournament's held at their mansion, um, mm-hmm. and so all the dancers from all around have to come to their new mansion, and they built a whole brand new wing, or like a whole brand new building that's just this like really extravagant ballroom building. Oh, and this is giving me House on Haunted Hill vibes. Yeah. So the building is brand new. But, like, everything on the outside and inside looks nice. But when you, like, go into the basement, it looks really dingy and gross. And it's, like, you know, they only focused on the... They only focused on making, you know, the the obvious parts look nice and stuff. Scott's parents would do that. Right. So they cut corners. Um, and Fran is their Cinderella-like maid who they abuse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so they don't, like, abuse her, you know, like... Just a little abuse? Right. They don't put cigarettes out on her and spit on her and stuff. But, you know, it's kind of like um, like a more of a class. Like, mm, upstairs, downstairs. Yeah, so we got a little bit of class warfare going on between the two, and there's some horror there where it's like, look how mean the rich people are. Um, But either way, a whole bunch of dancers show up, and um, on one of their first nights there, they all decide to go for like a late-night swim. And so it's like all the dancers sneaking away from their coaches, and it's like, let's all go skinny dipping in the pool or whatever. Of course. This makes any killer stabby. (laughs) But, no, Scott rejects them. Because he doesn't want to swim with a bunch of commoners. Like, of right? He doesn't want to get his prestigious dance sweat mixed up with their commoner dance sweat. So he goes off into the woods and he decides to take a dip into a natural hot spring. Because uh-huh. he figures that will relax his body. And of course, that, his sore muscles. Right. And that'll give him an edge over the rest of the dancers. However, he is infected by a parasite. Oh, shit. While he's in the hot spring. Like, he cuts his, his, his foot on a rock or something. Oh. And then when he dips into the, to the hot spring, you know, because hot springs aren't hot enough to kill parasites. Oh, no. So, is, that, is that true? I, th- I don't know. I think so, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, bacteria has a very high threshold for, for temperature, don't they? It is. Also, I just learned that the biomass of bacteria is ridiculously huge. Like, like, like compared to like the collective biomass of all the humans on Earth. Really? Like the collective biomass of bacteria is much, much bigger. And that's crazy to think because each like bacterium is yeah. so tiny. That's like um, one of those crazy facts that you hear like. All the ants in the world weigh as much as all the people in the world. More, I think. Yeah. That's a lot. Well, the yeah. bacteria outranks those ants. So what are you going to do about that, ants? Yeah, get on it, ants. Take care of it for us. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, he's infected with a parasite. So that's kind of your act one stuff. The act two stuff yes. is mostly just dancing. And it's him over the next three nights. Is and- he acting weird? Yeah. So, well, his his body is starting to fall apart. Ooh, more Cronenberg. So, yes, 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 yes. So we have um, his, you know, we have stuff like his parents and reporters and friends and family all like hyping up the fact that like, oh, you gotta win this tournament. Maybe he's won the last two and he, he'll be the mm-hmm. first person this to win is three his in a year. row. Right. So 
he's really got to win the tournament. So we get a lot of like crazy stuff. Like before he goes to dance, he's like bandaging up his feet, but like his feet start falling apart. Oh yeah. No, I'm feeling the black swan influence. Yeah. 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 And then like, you know, he was going to wear a short sleeve shirt. But on um, the last night, he's got to wear a long sleeve shirt because, like, the skin on his arms are starting to fall off and stuff like that. So it's, you know, and, like, every time he does a step or a dance, like, you hear his bones crack. and Yeah, so it's, like, every time he goes out to dance, we fear that his body might fall apart on us. He's a monster. Right. So, during all this time, Fran is still abused. She's being made to run around and, you know, like... Oh, someone dropped something on the floor and she's got to scoop it up and she scrapes her feet and all that stuff. Or like there's a furnace underneath in the basement and she's got to like shovel coals into the furnace and she gets all burned up. Fran. I know, poor Fran. But then there's the final dance. And during the final dance, right before the final dance, Scott's head explodes. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Yeah. So, like, right as he's about to start dancing, his head explodes into... Did you ever play The Last of Us? Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so, so I didn't finish it, but, like, the ones that have, yeah, like, the... clickers. The, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yes. So it explodes into, like, a clicker-like mushroom. <laughs> Are people in a splash zone? Oh, yeah. Everyone gets <laughs> bloodied up. So then the final act of the movie basically becomes, like, Carrie. Only Scott is this, like, parasite man, and he's running around killing everyone. Oh, I love it. And everyone's trapped because there's a big storm. And that also is going to be hinted at all throughout the Mm. movie. Like, there's a big storm coming. No one can leave. So no one can leave this, like, super new ballroom house part of the mansion. Um, And so then basically, yeah, from there we kind of are on autopilot because Fran tries to escape, but there's a storm outside. Fran's a final girl? Oh, yeah. So she, instead, she has to gear up. So she like, you know, she's a working class girl. So she takes all of her working class items and like gears up and, you know, makes a little utility belt out of an apron or something. And uh, <laughs> and then she goes to fight back. And uh, right as she's about to start fighting back, like the turntable or whatever gets hit. And so it's like the final dance song starts <gasps> oh. playing while Fran and and clicker face Scott start battling each other. I love it when horror movies do that. They started doing it too much after, like, the Marvel movies with, like, the random needle drops. But when you have, like, the dissonant music tone with the final battle, like, I I love it. I love it. So then as they're fighting, um, things get super intense, and the the dance floor actually breaks, and they fall through the dance floor. Oh, shit. And then the rest of the movie has to take place in the basement, and basically Fran has to shove Clicker Face Scott into the furnace and burn him alive. Uh, And it's like a big moment because she hates that fucking furnace. Yes. But but she... So she takes the guy that she she doesn't like and pushes him into the furnace and watches him burn... And then basically she kind of like passes out and then the next morning she wakes up and it's like really calm out, but there's all this crazy like aftermath, bloody aftermath. And she basically walks away and she's the only survivor. Maybe we'll throw in like a plucky kind of sidekick who's like, you know, Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs, like just pops out of the corner. He's like, oh, nope, I was safe all along, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Like at the end of Get Out when... Oh, right. uh, Yeah. 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 
Oh man. Oh, that is awesome. I really like yours. I really yeah. like the idea of Brett as a final girl and also Scott turning into a clicker style monster. Right. Oh, that would be awesome. I would watch that movie. Yeah. I would totally watch it. I just don't that have movie. a name for it. Strictly Bloodworm. <laughs> Strictly <laughs> Bloodworms. <laughs> That's all I can think of. <laughs> Along came a parasite. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, who knows? That I feel like that's the kind of movie where, like, you wouldn't have a name for it until you had, like, a line in the dialogue right, where you're right. like, oh, that's what it should be called. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I definitely want that last final line to be like a big crowd-pleasing moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, I I really like that. <laughs> and did you ever see Cabin Fever? Um. Oh, but yeah, yeah where yeah, yeah, they yeah. get infected right. with that. No, I thought I, a lot I about have, that, too. Yeah, I know that it does have that feel. But yeah, like that call to the last of us. I'd love yeah. to see a monster like that. Yeah, it hasn't been movie. really done on screen yet. Yeah, it's. So. I mean, it's working like gangbusters and video games. Heck I mean, yeah. Take note, Hollywood. <laughs> so. So. Before we move on to our next movie. Oh, yeah. We got to ask it. Who would you kill from Strictly Ballroom? I'd probably kill the mom. Yeah, I would kill Scott's mom too. Yeah, I didn't like her. She's a mean, scary lady. Yeah. And, yeah, I just didn't like her. She was all over the place. And she made things worse for everyone around her. I liked her as a character. Like, I felt like that was a good character to have. I mean, for the sake of the movie, sure. Mm-hmm. It was good to have this unreliable, crazy character who just added um, stakes to everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, she's got to go. But she's, she's got to die. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and because I really like the dad. The, the dad, dad dancing so around sweet. all alone and stuff. <laughs> He's so sweet, and he does not deserve... To be the guy who refills the soda machine. (laughs) And the dad's dance scene where, like, they show him dancing for the first time as, like, the crazy, wacky one. His foot by foot, side by side shot with his wife where she's, like, dancing normal, but his feet are going all crazy. Mm-hmm. It was, like, something out of Airplane or something. Oh, you know that what was I mean? so fun. I like, <laughs> I love that sequence, and I like that they put, like, all those, like, all that glitter on the floor. Right. So whenever he was doing his crazy stuff, <laughs> he was kicking up a shit ton of glitter. <laughs> it was, it was great. But, yeah, the dad didn't deserve to be done like that. Right. Yeah, so I was sad for the dad, mad at the mom. Kill mom. Kill mom, man. Get her out of here. Get her out of here. Speaking of killing. Whoa. Killing. Let's, should we get into Rogue? Yeah, let's do it. So I'm curious, um, what made you decide on Rogue? Well, we had to pick an Australian movie and I wanted to, I, did you, did you, you probably didn't see Crawl, the movie that came out earlier this year. No. It was about alligators. It was pretty good. So you you just you had a taste you had a taste for a monster. Yeah, I wanted to see, and I don't think we've done like a an animal based movie yet. Not yet, but I I do feel like animals are. I mean, 
among like the most believable horror movie villains right they attack (laughs) yeah and this wasn't like a crazy space alligator or anything Mm -hmm. like that it was just a normal giant alligator or like um isn't the alligator in that arnold movie he's like he's been like enhanced what you never seen i can't remember the name of the movie but there's like an arnold alligator or or crocodile movie where he shoots it and goes your luggage yeah your luggage (laughs) that's in um eraser but it's not enhanced they just they like fall out of the sky into a zoo oh wait the crocodiles no arnold falls out of the sky into a zoo oh and that's when he meets so mm-hmm. the movie isn't about a crocodile no. hunting oh that's I've just only... one scene from <laughs> the movie that scene. <laughs> and i assume that was the entire movie no 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 it's about um it's about a man who's in the witness protection agency basically and his job is to erase people and so he has to erase vanessa williams because scott Kahn. No, James Kahn is after her. And so he has to erase her because she knows things that can get her in trouble. But then, then he, he just sh- erased, he, <laughs> he erased a crocodile for Oh, no yeah, reason. he erases a lot of people in that movie. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie. Oh, I need to see it now that I know. But yeah, your luggage is a great, that's one of the great Arnold one-liners. Okay, so. Because he fights like three of them. Yeah. Wait, okay, but isn't there a Samuel Jackson croc movie? No, you're thinking of Deep Blue Sea. Oh, is that a oh that's a shark. That's a shark that's movie. That's a shark movie. Yeah. Sorry, I, I get my monsters confused. Right. Um so I feel like you you kind of like when it comes like we talked last episode about catnip. Are monsters or killer animals your catnip? No. But they're just, I feel like it's a genre that's probably the most, like, I don't know. It's probably, like, the most made-for-TV type genre. So it's probably one that I've seen a lot of. Like, this movie reminded me a lot of, like, a sci-fi movie Mm -hmm. before, but without the gimmick of, like, you know, it's radioactive or it has three heads it reminded me of Kong Skull Island a little bit, oh, but man. like I mean, I, I wish this. So <laughs> I wish this this movie had the kills that Kong yeah. did. Yeah, that's there was some giant spider. Oof, there's some real people. great, yeah, yeah. some real great kills in Kong. Yeah, um, but like, but like the the threat of nature, right? And that whole thing, and nature being bigger and more ambiguous than human violence, right? That kind of thing. It it did make me think of that. I gotcha. Yeah. That's understandable. Hmm. But yeah, no, I I mean I do I do like a good a good monster movie. Um, but it's hard for me not to sympathize with um are we gonna just call the croc rogue? Is that his name? Yes, so yeah, his <laughs> name can be rogue. Yeah, I, I Again, like, I kind of feel like similarly to Kong, I was like, you know, Rogue didn't ask for this. Right. They yeah, came they came in... into Rogue's territory. Exactly. Like, you bring a tour bus or tour boat into my home, I'm going to sink that sink that tour boat. Yeah. For sure. Um but yeah, like uh, you were asking earlier, like oh, like if I if like Rogue was boring for me, that wasn't the biggest problem. 
Um, should I get into the summary? Yeah, yeah, let's get into um, it. So, so let's start with the biggest problem, which is American travel journalist Pete McKell, um, played by Never Been Kissed alum Michael Varton. For you rom-com fans, you'll, rec- you'll recognize Michael Varton as being one of the dudes that's not Bradley Cooper from Alias, yeah, uh, and I, I watched Alias. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he—he he was. Who was he on Alias? I didn't watch that show that much, but he, was he one of her love interests? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh-huh. big time. And so was Bradley Cooper, right? I don't think so. Or Bradley was... Cooper had a different love interest, I think, who was killed. It's been a while since I've seen it. So I think Bradley Cooper was like he a was a he was a boyfriend of a spy who got killed, and then he started to like dig into the spy stuff and Sydney mm. had to be like, no, no, it's too dangerous. He's like, how do you know? Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a spot on <laughs> Jennifer Garner impression. Yeah. I mean, I, I, where is Jennifer? Is she in the room? <laughs> yeah, I got her on speed dial just for this. <laughs> just, just for this, like, um, but but yeah, so Michael Varton was um, I think his name and never been kissed was Mr. Coulson, and oh, he was um, he was Drew Barrymore's forbidden love right. interest while she was under assignment. Um, but yeah, Michael Varton is not nearly as cool in this movie. No. He's just a travel writer, and like he starts the movie asking in this bar for a cup of coffee. And then they make this great show of showing us them putting a fly in his cup of coffee, which he drinks, which again makes me to believe that Australians really don't have a great opinion of Americans. Right. But he's still the, he's still ostensibly the hero of this movie. For reasons that I, that's the main thing that is most distressing about this film for me is why is Michael Varton the hero? But he Pete, just sort of turns into it. It's like the movie forgets he, that he's the hero until the third act where they're like, oh, right, he's alone now. Uh, yeah. I guess he's the final guy. And like, it, it makes even less sense as we go on. So right. Pete travel journalist he's in the australian wilderness he decides to go on um a jungle river cruise and it's not really clear if the cruise is part of his job no they never they never or... tell us why he's there like maybe like i because he says i'm not i don't usually do this kind of stuff i usually stick to hotels and whatever but he mentions at the beginning i have to catch this cruise Right, like, and he's and, writing and everything. Like, I would assume that he's there to find out about this croc who's killing people. Right, like that would be like if I were writing this movie, I'd right. make it clear that he's on an assignment, and and you'll see. You would like, actually make the first act tie into the third act. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, like like any responsible writer does, which I'm not, by the way. I'm. Not a responsible Very irresponsible I'm an extremely (laughs) irresponsible writer, meaning I don't write hardly at all, um, except this. Um, But so he gets on this tourist cruise led by uh, researcher Kate Ryan, who should be the hero of the movie. Um, And the cruise, while they're out on the river, they encounter a couple of local hooligans, Neil 
played by Sam Worthington, hero of, wasn't he the hero of Avatar, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. yeah, you've got Sam Worthington in this movie, and he's not the hero, so that that doesn't make sense. But Sam Worthington wasn't a guy at this point. I That's don't true. Think. He wasn't he wasn't yet a name. He wasn't discovered by James Cameron at this point. I think, um, <laughs> but but yeah. So the the locals decide to sass the tourists, but then the tourists sass them back. And again, Kate completely loses control of the situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's okay, I guess. So as they're returning to the base, they see a flare, and then they decide to investigate. Um, They get to the area where the flare came from, and then that's when something crashes into their boat. But one point, right before this, Kate turns to Pete and says, what should we do? Yeah, He's just a tourist travel writer, you are the person. You're the professional. A, yeah, you're the researcher. You live here. You know Neil, played by Sam Worthington. Like I, I don't, I don't understand why she would turn to Michael Varton at this point. Yeah. And say, what should we do? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's probably going to start getting dark out, and we there we there's nothing we can really do, so we should probably turn around. And she's like, Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. No, <laughs> she should have known. Without having to ask him, but then too bad they get they get their boat crashed into, and then they have to leave the boat and step in step onto this small island. Um, and then as they're figuring out what to do, one of the American tourists, whose name was Everett, and I later learned, disappears from the shore. There's mm-hmm. no sound associated with his disappearance. They look at him; he's there. They look away. They look back; he's completely gone. Um, and now they're trying to figure out what to do because it's tide lands and the tide is going to come in on this small island and the croc's going to get them. Uh, then Neil and Colin show up, the hooligans, and the tourists, they're glad to see them, but then the same thing crashes into their boat and then kills Colin. Neil, being a hero type pre-Avatar, convinces everyone that they need to move off the island, so he very bravely creates a zip line between the island and another shore for the group to cross. Yeah, he's got to swim across the lake. Again, why isn't he the hero? He and Kate have history, clearly. Like, it's very much implied that there's some history there because she's worried about him doing this dangerous stuff. He comes up with this idea, but then it, later it's Pete who's really meant to be her ostensible love interest and hero. It just it just doesn't make. <sighs> and I will say also this for anyone who's writing action movies or horror movies or non-romantic genres, we don't need you to have a romantic plot in your movie. Right. Like I hate it. I really hate it when. <laughs> Movies that are like action movies or this or or horror movies, and they just wedge in a romantic plot because mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, no, this is what the audience wants. And it's like, you don't need it to be an interesting movie. Like, if romance is central to the narrative, then I'm in the front row. But, like, a good example of this is um, The Running Man, 
Yeah. Like the romantic side plot in that movie is just so tacked on. And right. it's like, I would have been perfectly fine to watch Arnold in every scene right. with no, um, you know, no support, no female support. Um, yeah. I feel like we've very strangely ended up talking, or maybe it's just me who started talking about <laughs> Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned him multiple times in this episode. So- Sub-Zero, now plain <laughs> zero. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. <laughs> Your luggage. It's so good. <laughs> um, so they set up this zip line, and then the other American tourist, whose name I later learned is Mary Ellen, she says that she wants to cross first. Now, when this was happening, I thought that she was going to cross and then let herself fall in the river to be eaten by the croc Mm -hmm. because her husband just got eaten by the croc and she's sad about it. But no, she just gets scared. Um, So she gets to the middle of the rope and then she gets too scared to go on. Uh, And then that's when another tourist just loses his shit and decides that he's going to cross with his daughter without waiting for Mary Ellen to stop being scared. So he makes his daughter, Sherry, played by Mia Wasikowska, a girl from Stoker. Um, He makes her get on the rope and begin crossing, and then he gets behind her. So now there are three people on the rope, and the rope can't support it, and it starts to fall. Meanwhile, Neil gets attacked by the croc and gets killed. The rope becomes loose, a tree falls, and then all three people fall into the water. Mary Ellen and Sherry do make it back to shore, but then Neil is eaten by the crocodile because he's a dumb dad. Yeah. Who, like, like I, I'm somebody who's super afraid of heights, and I can tell you that if that situation happened and I was in Mary Ellen's place, I'm not going to be motivated to move by some angry dad right. coming behind me on the rope. Um, they were never like that was so that was such a silly thing for him to do. Yeah, it didn't make sense. It really didn't make sense. Um, but then Pete comes into his hero role and he decides that they're going to bait the croc on one side of the island while everyone else on the other side escapes. And the plan basically works. Right. Except Kate gets taken by the croc. Oh, jeez. But thankfully, Kate has a loyal dog named Kevin. The dog is named the Kevin. The dog is named Kevin. You realize as a writer, you can name the dog anything you want. And you name him Kevin. Kevin is really cute, though. Um, <laughs> Kevin is definitely my favorite male lead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Kevin, assisted by Pete, the travel journalist, uh, Kevin finds this cave and goes in, and then Pete falls into the cave via the Goonie shoot mm-hmm. or whatever is there, uh, and they find that they've discovered the Crocs' lair. So Kevin is a really good dog because he finds Kate, but then he gets eaten by the Croc. So, yes, if you are one of those people who needs to know if the dog dies, 
in the movie, this dog hella dies. But they they do the tasteful thing, which is the dog runs off and you hear the, the barking and the squeals. But then you see it. But then like... Ten minutes later, the alligator comes out, and it's got the dog in its mouth, and it takes two to three seconds to crunch it up and swallow it whole. That made me so upset. Like, why did you need to show it? That made I me knew so upset. From the, moment, from the moment they showed the dog, I knew that this was going to be a movie where the dog was going to get it rough. Like, <laughs> rough. Rough. Real rough. Um, yeah. I like uh I just I was mad at the movie. This for doing this that. it was this part that made you yeah. mad. Yeah. I I would definitely say that I was the most angry at a movie we watched when they killed Jennifer Jason Lee oh, right. for C Thomas Howell's plot or character development in The Hitcher. But I get why they did it. Right. This was kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, the dog was going, the dog was always going to die because they, they even say something earlier in the movie where they're like, yeah, the dog, the, the croc can smell the dog, <laughs> like right. something like that. Um, so, but yeah, but the fact that they had to show, like they didn't spend a lot of money on CGI. It sounds mm-hmm. like, like many of the kills happened unseen mm-hmm. and then we don't really get to see how big this croc is until the very end but they did spend money showing us it eating right. the dog kevin and it's like kevin doesn't deserve that but uh, yeah, yeah. oh boy so at this point pete is trying to carry kate out of the cave um but he has to fight the croc to get out uh, and it's a protracted battle, but finally, finally, he manages to kill the croc by, he rests his back against a boulder and holds a broken log in front of him and just waits for the croc to strike and then stabs it through the mouth and through the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Um, but largely is undamaged i mean the the croc got some of his fingies but like not not nearly as damaged as kate was uh and they so pete and kate they make it back to the safety with the other tourists the helicopter's coming and then we get kind of a during credits epilogue which is a slow zoom of a newspaper article covering Pete killing the croc and rescuing Kate. And then the photo isn't even a picture of a crocodile, which like real journalism, we don't give a shit about the guy who killed the croc. We want to see how big that croc is on the front. Like if this was the, um, the newspaper ad editor in Spider-Man, he'd be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, Give me pictures of the croc. (laughs) Give me, oh, Killer Croc is also a Spider-Man enemy too, right? Um, no, you're thinking of Batman. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's but true. Peter Parker did fight the lizard. Ah, yes. But yeah, I definitely feel like rather than wanting a huge photo of Michael Varton, right. they want a picture of the Croc people. Um, so that that also made me like just like, come on, like really like... Like, he's the, the big hero when, right. like, all he did was show up to a jungle cruise and flirt with K- 
Kate Ryan. I mean, did he flirt with her? Kind of. <sighs> like, like barely. Like barely. Uh, he had like barely a simmer. Whereas like when yeah. Sam Worthington came on, I was like, <laughs> this guy's gonna have a career. <laughs> like, you know, like like this kid's got something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just a really kind of plain Jane movie. It's it felt it's not bringing anything to the table for monster movies. I didn't think so. No, I thought it was very very plain. Like I said, it felt like a sci-fi movie, but without the gimmicks. Yes. So it just and it felt very made for TV. It did, and I was surprised because like um, the director, his previous or previously he did Wolf Creek. Right. So this is a man who's capable of on-screen violence. Right. Yeah, Wolf it's, Creek I didn't really like though, so I was hoping that really this movie long time. would have, you know, sold me on him or something. Mm. But yeah, I couldn't really get into Wolf Creek. Couldn't really get into this movie. And why Rogue? What do you mean, like as the name of the movie? Yeah, like it doesn't have anything to do with anything other than the concept of a crocodile going rogue. Right. Yeah, I thought at Kate at one point might say like. Oh, you know, most crocodiles stay together in packs, but every once in a while you get a rogue out. Like, you would have thought at some point they would have name-dropped the title into the movie, but they didn't. You know what would be cool is if instead of the young lady, it was an old lady like Frances Conroy, and she was like kind of almost like a Dr. Loomis type who's obsessed with the crocodile. Right. And it's like, yeah, he got my, like, Captain Hook, like, he got my hand. <laughs> like, maybe maybe there's somebody on the boat who wants to go Ahab on that croc. Yeah, I definitely felt that this movie was missing the the white whale aspect of, of this croc, which was mostly unseen for most of the movie. Right. Like, I feel like a lot of good monster movies and, like, kaiju movies, too, what makes them, a, like good is like a tension between like the existential threat of the monster which right. is unavoidable and then like human corruption and human right. error like 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 the white whale aspect like captain ahab wants to defeat this monster for his own personal reasons in kong you know you've got people who want to get the monster for selfish reasons or they want to exploit the island for commercial reasons and then I think in like Godzilla too, there's like, isn't there like an idea with some of the Godzilla lore that Godzilla is like really like a protector who's trying to right. like stop human intervention in nature or something like that? Yeah, I mean, he goes from being a bad guy to a good guy where he's like the protector of oh, Japan. Oh, yes, the, the T2, and, the yeah. T2 transformation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, yeah, there was no part of this movie where it, it, even for like a movie where a bunch of people were stuck on an island together, it didn't really feel like the, um, they didn't fight enough. Yeah. Like it wasn't like the mist or night of the living oh, dead. Yeah, they never stopped fighting in the mist. Yeah. It wasn't like those movies were like, you have a threat going on, but the real threat is people. This one was yeah. like. Just a bunch of goofballs who <laughs> who occasionally acted out. Like the fact that that one guy got super drunk never really played into anything. 
The yeah. guy who spread his wife's ashes. No, that never came that back. Never, yeah, never really came back. Like, he goes from being this, like, sad sack on the boat all alone who's pouring ashes into the thing. And then he kind of turns into a jerk. And then he, like, saves the mom of Mia Wazikowski. Right. Like, and I guess we're supposed he, to... Yeah. I guess we're supposed to think that because... She saw him, Mia saw him drop the ashes into the river and didn't say anything. Suddenly he's like, you've got a good daughter. Right. And now I'm going to help you get across the river. And it's like, that's not enough yeah. to make this man care about this family. Yeah, it just, it was full of all these bizarre choices and full of just like... I don't know. Everything just seemed to kind of be like, eh, we don't really want to be here, so let's just kind of move on to the next chunk. Right, yeah. It's like, like, no, I want you to live in the moment a little bit. I want to see how these characters are going to react. I want to see how they react to each other and to this situation. And, like, how they rise or fall in the occasion. Right. That kind of thing. Who seems like the hero type? Who's going to... And, yeah, and it... it Again, like, it really makes no sense for this researcher and cruise host to defer to a travel writer who just got there. And, yeah, by the end of the movie, he doesn't even seem to, like, he doesn't go through this Ash-like thing, like an Evil Dead, where he starts out as this nerdy guy, and then he turns into Mm -hmm. this, like, total badass. At the end of the movie, he's kind of just, like, scrounging his way through the cave like yeah no he doesn't learn floundering about and then at the end of the movie he just like he gets really lucky that the alligator the crocodile has really big teeth and jaws and bites the rock instead of him there was a moment where like so in the cave when the crocodile is snapping at him and Kate and doing his thing he keeps shouting no get away yeah. and in that moment he sounded like Randy from South Park okay like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like his like i mean I, Michael Vartan's not a bad actor, but like this just was not a great role, and yeah. and like it just like there was nothing like like in that moment it just was so silly like no get away right <laughs> yeah if you're gonna have a character whose fingers get chopped off and who's gonna have to like wrestle with this alligator that's like five times the size of him you kind of have to. You kind of have to make him the sort of like reluctant hero who's got to like rise above the situation to take care of it. And like, you know, he's not a guy who's well equipped to kill an alligator. But by the end of the movie, he's kind of got to be this guy who overcomes his weakness and takes on this giant monster. But instead, it's like he just kind of like backpedals into everything. (laughs) There's no sense right. of there's no sense of like victory or tri- triumph in this movie. It's all just like, oh, I kind of, I guess I have to do this now. But like, yeah. it's not fun to. It's not heroic. He doesn't ever become heroic. No, he really doesn't. Which is why, like for me, it's so agitating to have like the sort of like the visual and like the writing lean you towards thinking like, okay, I'm supposed to think 
this guy is the hero. Right. And then I kept asking myself, but why? Right. <laughs> but why is he the hero? Why why not have him be the one who's taken and then right. she as the person who's again like Kate is supposed to be the one who's in a leadership position where the lives of the tourists are really her responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's, she's the expert. And she's the expert. But yeah, it's like it's her responsibility that everyone makes it out alive. So what really motivates um, Pete to actually follow Kevin into the Crocs lair and mm-hmm. help her other than that maybe he's vaguely attracted to her but like if you had no other interaction with this person other than this cruise as just a foreigner Mm -hmm. in this country and a writer what would really compel you to be the hero yeah like nothing (laughs) yeah i don't I also think like you kind of nail on a on an important thing like he doesn't have to change to survive and he doesn't learn any lessons that change him as a person and I feel like for both horror and rom-coms as a genre I mean and it's really true for like a good story in general mm-hmm. like your characters need to n- not necessarily learn lessons but be confronted with events or plot points that make them have to decide to change as a person to survive. And that's like what makes it appealing to watch, at least for me in a lot of cases. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Like there was no diehard moments in this Uh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no moment where he's got to like talk to Kate about, you know, something while he's pulling alligator teeth out of his foot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. They could have had a heart to heart, but she was passed out. That was the other thing that I thought was ridiculous where they just literally had her like, oh, just be unconscious for the for this final act of the movie. He he comes in and like white knights her character. And yeah, by the end of the movie, when he's holding her and she's just all drooped out and he's like carrying her to salvation. I was like. No, this movie, like, that just would not fly (laughs) in today's culture. It's not not just that it's, like, so, like, traditional and, like, it's, like, he's the masculine saver or savior. It's just not that satisfying. Yeah, it didn't feel earned. And it it was a two-pronged thing, which is, one, it didn't feel earned because Michael Varton never does anything really heroic in the movie. And two... Yeah, it's her movie. It should like, be it her. It should have been yeah. her movie. So it should have been her, you know, um, yeah, like you said, her going to save him or her waking up, being left behind, having to fight back out, get back oh, to Oh, yeah, I would have seen just, I would have watched a movie that's just like her against the, the croc or something yeah. like that. And like the tourists are somewhere else fighting among themselves and she has to get to them. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, Crawl. Crawl does a really good job with that. Uh, yeah, what does Crawl do? Crawl has a, a a young woman who goes to save her dad. Mm, I love father-daughter stuff. Yep. And then the dad gets bitten by the alligators, and then she's got to, like, save him and help him, and he's got to help her, but his leg is all mangled up and... They're underneath the house and they have to go to the top of the house. Oh, I think I saw the trailers for this movie where, like, there's a bunch of gators. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes place. It's basically um, a hurricane hits Florida, and these people live uh. right next to an alligator sanctuary. And so when the hurricane hits and the waters rise, then all the alligators get loose, and they start eating lots of people. That sounds awesome. Yeah. You know what's funny is, um, so I I actually went to a local video rental store this oh, time yeah. around to find uh, Rogue and uh, Strictly Ballroom, and they were both in the Australia section Ooh. of I Love Video, but she didn't have Rogue, and I wondered, like, very briefly, I'm like, did Brett rent it? <laughs> <laughs> but apparently somebody else wanted to see Rogue wow. as much as I did. Yeah. Um, and when I was at the front and she didn't have it, she's like, well, there's this other movie, Crawl, that just came out and then has gators. I'm like, no, I need this specific yeah. croc movie. Not your... They're not, not your, all interchangeable, you Not know? your discount reptile feature, but now I really want to see Crawl. Crawl, it crawl good. was a much better movie. It sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> And it felt cinematic. This movie, there was nothing cinematic about this movie at all. It it really was lacking in, in like, fun. Like, when you compare it to, like, Strictly Ballroom, right. where it's, like, in your face with, like, a dozen different elements and, yeah. like, crazy foley effects. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, this was very subdued, much more subdued than I expected. Like, I was right. thinking there'd be more CGI croc action. Like, we'd see it, like bust out of the water with its big old chompers but it was a very quiet crocodile he yeah. he's like a part-time librarian crocodile <laughs> and i think a third of this movie was just landscapes and wildlife or like building <laughs> up to the so-called violence like i was watching this movie and Doug came into the room and I'm like, and he's now acquainted enough with our process right. to ask me, oh, is this the horror or right. the rom-com? And at first he was like, oh, this must be the rom-com because Whoa. it seems really like sappy. Right. And then we got to the part where um, the the people, the tourists were taking pictures and he's like, mm. Nope, nope, nope. This is the horror movie. Anytime a family takes pictures <laughs> right. at the beginning of the movie, it means people oh, are going did. to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which, is, which is true. So it was interesting that that was the thing that was like, yeah. oh, these people are going to die because they're taking commemorative pictures at the beginning of the film. Right. Yeah, and then that one photographer guy was a real a-hole about his camera. And he was, he oh, was, was kind of like was a... Was that the American tourist who died? No, he was the one who had the camera and he was taking pictures of everyone. He's the one who went got into the beer later. Oh, that guy. Yeah, they he, didn't give him yeah, anything like, to do. Yeah, he was just kind of an annoying a-hole for most of the movie, but then he never gets any comeuppance or he never gets any like character arc where he like turns around and goes from like the selfish jerk and turns into like the sacrifices yeah. himself for the group so they could so Good. it felt like this movie had all the building blocks for a normal people get stranded by a giant monster mm -hmm. animal and then have to problem solve their way out of it. But the movie, like, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't go, it didn't go for broke. It just, it settled. It settled for mediocrity. I wonder if there's like a director's cut of the ver version of this movie right. that's a lot crazier. I, I don't know. Who who knows? Right. But that like, it reminds me a little bit about my complaints about Leap Year, where it's like all the tools are there. Right. 
all the elements that should make me want to enjoy this movie are there. Mm -hmm. But then they were either like left on the table or they weren't used in a way that I'm really a fan of. Yeah, no, I agree. This movie felt like it could have done a little bit more, you know. Yeah. Now, I, I, again, like I said, I feel like it's worse for a movie to be... I mean, and there were parts that were boring, but it wasn't the worst problem. <laughs> but it's worse to be boring than to be bad. I would have rather seen the actors be bad mm-hmm. and have them be doing stuff than to just have them kind of sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. Are we ready to remix Rogue into a sweet, sweet rom-com? Oh, I think so. So, so you feel like you had an easier time turning Rogue into a rom-com? I think so. Than strictly, yeah, yeah. Because I thought your strictly ballroom horror was good. I was, <laughs> I was into it. I wanted, but if you think this is gonna be better, this let's one is hear just it. more detailed. I think. Okay. Okay. The, you know, like I didn't want to go into the, all the grossness of how the guy and um. And strictly bloodworm has to like, you know, because you get it. You've seen a horror movie where people's skin is falling off. He's got to like wrap up his skin and, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Eh. Yeah, like the fly. But yeah. here I had more fun just kind of getting into the relationship of Kate and Pete. And like, you know, I had to put them against odds mm-hmm. at odds with each other. Of course. Um, mine is called Heart of the Jungle. Ooh, Heart of the Jungle. Yeah. Okay. And Pete is a trophy hunter. Ooh, and Kate is a tour guide. And um, Kate signs up for the tour under the guise of being a photographer because you're not allowed to just go on these tours and kill animals, right? So he Mm -hmm. has to pretend to be a photographer. And I figured he'd have, like, cool photographer equipment that, like, also doubled his gun stuff. Okay. Right? So, like, he has a camera, but it, like, shoots bullets. (laughs) Wait, but then they're going to see him shoot his camera at a wild animal. (laughs) That animal is going to drop dead. And then what's going to happen? They can just say, like, oh, that that animal got sleepy. Um, Oh, my God. So, But while he's on tour, he leaves the group. Like, he sneaks away, and his mission is to go hunt down this rare albino alligator that lives in the deep forests of australia um kate notices one of her tour people is missing and tracks off into the jungle to find him so like you know she notices the boot prints and stuff and she's like she should yeah she's like this master tracker tour guide she's like a adventure woman Mm -hmm. uh and so she leaves the tour and her dad continues the tour with the rest of the tour guides or with the rest of the tour people so I figured throughout the movie we would check in on them and it'd always be this gag of like the dad is this sort of Mr. Magoo type <laughs> crazy person who's like... Like Scott's dad. Like, right. Um, and so, yeah, he's like walking like across valleys on like thin little vines and stuff. And, you know, he's just like getting into like random hijinks that are harmless and silly. Uh, but Kate does find Pete. But then the two of them get lost because Pete sabotages Kate's equipment so that her compass is like spinning the wrong way and he takes them the hell, deeper Pete? into I know. Well Pete has to find this alligator. He needs to tr- shoot the alligator. Because but for the only because he wants it as a trophy? Yep. That's all. He oh. just wants to take the head and keep it as a trophy. Okay, so this is 
an interesting Pete's Slytherin. a bad guy. He's a Slytherin hero. <laughs> yes, Pete is a bad guy. Um, and Pete is about to shoot one of the animals, but Kate takes his, like, camera. So she figures out that the camera is really a gun, and she takes mm-hmm. it and, like, throws it away. And Good. so Pete gets really mad. So, But now Pete doesn't have his gun or his ammo, and, you know, he's hungry, and Kate's hungry. So Kate makes them both a meal out of, like, berries and fruits, and she, like, sets up this whole, like, five-course meal. <laughs> Vegan agenda. Right. But Pete finds this, like, giant insect, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll take a crack of that, mate. And so he bites in, almost like Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and uh, Lion They King. actually made those bugs look really tasty. Yeah, they. Yeah, every time I see that scene, I get, I get hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look good. <laughs> um, so he eats the insect, and it's, like, all gross and manly, and, like, insect guts are dripping down his chin, and Kate's like, ew. So they don't like each other. Then Pete almost steps in quicksand, but Kate stops him. And so they have to ah, go on a the detour. Old fire swamp. Yes. <laughs> so they so Pete wants to just go through the quicksand and he's like, We can just walk through it, or we'll muscle my way through it. I'm adventure man. And Kate's like, No, we have to go, we have to take this detour because it's too dangerous. So they go along this cliff thing. And they start getting into a fight because Pete doesn't want to do it Kate's way. And Kate is trying to save them. So Pete puts his foot down, literally. But that causes like a mudslide avalanche. And the two get swept up and they crash down the side of the mountain. Um, And their clothes are all caked in mud. So now they have to like make Tarzan clothes out of plants and stuff. So, you know, like she has like a plant bikini and he has like a loincloth and so they they turn into tarzan people uh then they find a plane in the trees and kate has to climb up and inspect the plane and as she does it starts to fall but pete catches her skinship yeah so pete notices a journal fell out of the plane and it has a location of the albino alligator hunting ground in it and kate notices that flares fell out of the plane so she takes the flares because she's going to use those later uh but it starts getting dark and the two set up for the night kate makes a comfy home and pete goes out and he makes like a bow and arrow and other weapons of course and then pete kills a rabbit off screen because we're not animals we don't need to show him murdering an innocent little animal like in rogue when kevin gets killed so Pete kills a rabbit and he tries to settle in, but it's really hard because his hut isn't nearly as good as Kate's hut because Kate's been spending all her time making a hut instead of making bows and arrows and weapons. But Kate's starving and she doesn't have a lot of berries or anything. Mm-hmm. And it's really dark out. So the two decide to share and Pete shares his rabbit and Kate's like really reluctant at first, but then she bites into it and she's like, oh my God, this rabbit's really tasty. And then Pete, like, shares her, fur- like, she made furniture and stuff. So Pete goes and, so like. They're just having this whole domestic Yeah, yeah, they have, like, a little husband-wife hut thing. And then they fall asleep. But then Kate wakes up in the middle of the night. And guess what? Pete's gone. So oh, Pete's, that douchebag. Pete's just, he can't, he can't let the alligator go. So Pete goes and he takes the journal and he fights the alligator and he's trying to like wrestle with it and fight it and stab it and the alligator's taking chunks out of him and they're fighting back and forth and just as Pete is about to lose and the alligator's about to kill him 
Kate shows up, and Kate shoots a flare into the sky, and then reloads her flare gun and points it right at the alligator's oh, fuck eggs. Yeah, yeah. So the alligator. Oh, it's a mama. It's a mama gator. So the oh. mama gator's just trying to protect her babies from you know, and and Pete's trying to kill the alligator, but basically, like Godzilla two thousand. Right. So Pete and or so the alligator and Kate create this like this like maternal truce Ooh, psychic connection yep and then yeah so then she ends up saving pete and then right as the alligator swims off to safety to be with her babies maybe the babies hatch and stuff they bump into the tour guide and the dad got lost of course so kate takes the dad's equipment and he gets on a helicopter and the helicopter comes and saves him and then while they're up in the air as kate and pete are sitting next to each other flying off into the sunset they share a kiss because now they like each other yeah did he learn any lessons about his the value of his fortress trophy hunting yeah he learned that life is to be valued and that you shouldn't Mm -hmm. go around and just take like it's okay to hunt if you need to survive, it's okay. It's okay to kill little bunny rabbits, but it's not, not. okay to kill alligators just to kill them. You I can't like just, that. Yeah, you can't just go out and do that. So she changes him and she saves him, just mm-hmm. like the way it should have been in Rogue. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's heart of the jungle. Heart of the jungle. Yeah. I I like that turn. I like that. I like that there's some learning, some learning right. and some changing. Yeah, which I feel is is uh, is important. Uh, it's interesting. I also have Kate as a savior, but in a totally different <laughs> way. But sure. we we leaned into Kate being the one who takes on uh, right. the gator or the croc. Um, so for mine, I kind of based my story off of Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. Which I don't imagine you've seen. I don't think you, I've you seen mi- it miss, all. Maybe I've seen scenes one. on TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in this, Kate is going to be the main character. Okay. So Kate, Kate Ryan, decides to return to her Australian small hometown on the edge of Kakadu National Park. That's apparently where they are. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, after a decade-long absence. With her new fiance in tow, travel writer Pete McKell. Oh, Pete. So she wants Pete to meet her father. Uh, Kate's father runs a wildlife watching cruise on the river in the national park. So similarly to before. Now, Pete also has a secret ulterior motive for coming with Kate. He wants to break out of travel writing because remember he's like I'm just a travel writer. I write about hotels. I write about hotels. Yeah, fancy restaurants. Yeah, he probably writes for um, what's the in-flight magazine called? (laughs) Whatever that is, I I imagine it's that. But he wants to break out of travel writing so he can get into investigative journalism. Okay, yeah, um, the real gritty stuff. Uh huh. Like yeah, where the the yeah. real the real real the it juicy is, stuff. The real fake news um, by breaking a story of a man eating crocodile in the area. So, mm. like they should have done in Rogue, give him an actual reason for being there. He wants to break right. this story. Gotcha. He's here for that story. 
Now, at the wildlife preserve, Kate also runs into her ex-boyfriend, Neil, played by Sam Worthington. Uh, He's shocked and hurt to see her after so many years of no contact, but oh, baby, the sparks are still there. So, like, they had really, again, she had zero chemistry with Michael Varden Mm -hmm. and all the chemistry with Sam Worthington. So I, I... I made Neil the hero of my story. That's a good good Um, choice. So Pete, not knowing the history between Kate and Neil, asks Neil to take him and Kate on a river cruise specifically to watch the crocodiles. So that's the setup. That's act one. Now, middle act. Neil asks Kate if she wants to lead the cruise for old time's sake because, you know, these two, they've got history. Before Kate moved out of Australia, she was part of the whole... Yeah. You know, thing. Uh, and then Pete starts to get jealous of their uh-huh. easy camaraderie. And he feels like they're gatekeeping the Australian <laughs> wilderness. Sure. Sure. <laughs> this Pete's a real scumbag. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I turned Pete into a real odd Schumann. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, he gets even more pissed off when... Neil's friend Colin drives up along the boat and starts talking about how great Neil and Kate were when they were together. Uh, and he's like, ah, you guys remember yeah. when we went to the old Pogo Wogo? <laughs> <You know? laughs> whatever, whatever that guy was calling his dance. His dance yeah. <laughs> Bongo Pogo. <laughs> um, and then also because this is a rom-com, the group of tourists are all comedic actors with weird idiosyncrasies. Yes. So, like, maybe there's, like, a kleptomaniac on the boat. Um, Maybe she's played by, like, like Joan Cusack or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's, like, some ugly American tourists, you know, you've got all the types, all the obnoxious tourist types there, um, but with hidden depths. Um, and so similarly to the original story, the croc crashes the tourist boat, forcing them onto the island. Pete purposefully hides the flares in this Ooh. version because he wants to kill into the, he wants to run into the killer croc so he can get that killer story. Right. Now, meanwhile, Neil and Kate are flirty fighting about the best way to save the tourists and then catching up with each other. He admits that he's still in love with her, but Kate, Mm. she doesn't know what to say. She's engaged. And it's like, why are all these feelings and we got to survive this crocodile? I don't have time for this. So that leads us into the third act where Neil has the same idea he had before to lead everyone to safety via the zip line above the water. And he manages to get everyone across this time. But then Pete and Kate go last and then the croc snaps up Kate. Uh, and what? Yep, yep. And then Neil yells at Pete to go after her, but then Pete doesn't do it because oh. he's a coward. So And he's got his story. Yeah, and he's got a story. Yeah. Exactly. Croc killed someone. That's mm-hmm. all he needed. Exactly. And he doesn't really care about Kate. He cares about being a big old investigative. Yeah. He cares about that byline. Something like that, yeah. And he's actually got a camera, so he's gonna be capturing those uh-huh. sweet croc yeah. pics. 
Um, so Neil dives into the water to save Kate and he succeeds, but then he gets pulled away by the croc. Um, so Pete and Kate then get into a huge fight on the shore because she says she wants to find the croc's lair and save Neil. Mm -hmm. And Pete's trying to make her not go after her. And then the truth comes out about Pete wanting to do an article about the killer croc so he can get his big break. And Kate just loses all respect for him. Pete tells her that if she goes, they're over. And then Kate doesn't even think twice. Whoa. Good so, for Kate. Yeah, exactly. So Kate, Kate goes through some changes. Yeah. She, she learns that she's Australian again. I don't know. <laughs> um, so Kate does save Neil from the Crocs lair and admits that she still loves him. And then they embrace in front of Pete and all the tourists. And epilogue, Pete does get his big break after writing about Kate and Neil's heroism. Whoa. Boom. So it's like a Pyrrhic victory where it's like, yeah, you got what you wanted, Pete, but then you didn't get the girl and you don't get to be the hero. Right. So there. Yeah, I could imagine like the last scene of him with his newspaper and it has his story, but he's sitting all alone crying, Mm -hmm. whereas Kate... And Neil are sitting in each other's laps. Oh yeah, or like kissy faces, or like the headline pictures, like them kissing, and and he's like mad, like all pouty, (laughs) pouty about it. Yeah. Okay. That that's the kind of comeuppance I was seeing for him. Yeah, a very PG thirteen friendly rom com. Oh yeah, no, there's no fucking in this one. Like I really feel like there's altogether not enough fucking in rom coms. Um, and there's plenty of it in horror movies. Like right. it's, it's almost required. But yeah, this is one where like we don't get any any intimate scenes. Really, we just know that they have history, right. and there's you know tension, and then yeah. kiss at the end. Right, you gotta go for that final kiss. Yeah, no sex hugs, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I like it. Thank you. So, who from Rogue did you have a crush on? Was there anyone to crush on? I don't think so. Uh, Maybe Sam Worthington. Mm -hmm. He kind of showed up and Mm -hmm. had the most energy out of any of them. Like, this kid. Like, I I just want to imagine, like, some random... Like movie person watching Rogue and being bored, and then Sam Worthington comes on and they whip off their glasses. Right. Like, who is he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam Worthington, not not normally a very charismatic actor. In this, he was. But yeah, in this, he had a he had a little bit of spunk to him. Maybe he's not as maybe he's not as charismatic when he's pretending to be American. Could be. Maybe the accent throws him off. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just the fact that main characters are always more of a plain Jane anyway. That's true. And like, like in here, he gets to kind of play the Australian hillbilly. He's got some swagger. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's a bad boy. Right. Yeah. He's a swinging dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to. He's trying to outdick Mark Michael Vartan. I think he very easily outdicks my yeah, old party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he doesn't get to hold that big old log at the end. No, no he doesn't. <laughs> I wish that Rogue was just an escalating series of dick jokes. Right. 
that that would have made it much more entertaining yeah uh anything but what it was <laughs> but yeah so this is i think this is the first time where who we'd kill and who we crushed on was basically the yeah. same yeah both movies kind of a limited cast they you That's know true they 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 had a small small amount of people they recycled throughout the whole movie yeah Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I like how both of our movies, though, kept the same basic tour aspect and alligator aspect. and. Yeah, no, we yeah. had to use the tour and the monster. Right. Like, it, it's, still, it's still good fodder. Yeah. It's just all we had to do was make Kate sort of more in charge of her own destiny. Right. As soon as Kate's the hero, then the romance begins. <laughs> right. Gotcha. All right. Shall we get into some love bites? Yeah. Did you want to go first? or Sure. Yeah, go for it. So love bite for this week. I wanted to keep the theme based down under in okay. Australia. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, There's actually a lot of Australian movies I've seen where I've been like, oh, this is so good. So I, I kind of struggled to boil it down to one Australian movie to recommend. But like if you, I guess, want to get started with the Australian cinema, um, you might as well start with Peter Weir, famous Australian director. He directed a movie called Picnic at Hanging Rock. Hmm. It's, uh, how would I describe the genre of this movie? I mean, it's the kind of thing that you can imagine being played at, like, a Cannes Film Festival. Like, it's it's a very artistic and visually sumptuous movie, um, but it's also a mystery. It's about these girls that, these girls that are part of a boarding school that go missing during this titular picnic at Hanging Rock. Huh. And it's all about the community as they search for these girls and they try to figure out the mystery of what happened. And it's less about the answer to that mystery and more about the atmosphere of the school, the girls, and their singular obsession with the leader of the group that disappeared, this girl named Miranda, who I think collectively the people seem to be like, romantically obsessed with Miranda more than anybody else who goes missing. And it's about, you know, why she's kind of the focus of their fixations. And, and it's just a very beautiful film, um, very visually. And, and I just, it's a really interesting movie. I really recommend watching it over watching the Amazon Prime Picnic at Hanging Rock movie, or sorry, miniseries. I feel like where like the movie Picnic at Hanging Rock is very atmospheric, very ambiguous. The series on Amazon Prime just decides like, no, we want to make everything unambiguous mm-hmm. and like tell you exactly what's going on with right. every character. Whereas like the movie is more like, you know, it could be this way, it could not be but that's not the point of it. So definitely I recommend the movie over the series. Don't watch the series. It sounds a little bit like um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. 
it's I would say it's not like that necessarily because with girl like that being more of like a capital M mystery, right. like the solving of the mystery is really important to the hmm. resolution of the plot. Gotcha. Whereas solving the mystery in Picnic at Hanging Rock is not at all important to the resolution of the movie. Okay. Interesting. I just, I feel like I need to give that qualification right. because if you watch that movie with the expectation that you're going to be extremely like, oh, when I find out who did it or what happened to right. the girls, it's going to be amazing. Like, that's not at all the point of it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's good to know beforehand. Yeah, I feel like if you went into that movie thinking like, ooh, this is a mystery and I'm going to figure out the mystery, you'll be really, really disappointed. Hmm. Good <laughs> to know. Good to know. But it's not disappointing. It's it's a good movie. Gotcha. Did you have uh, another one? Uh, no, I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there's others that I would recommend, but maybe I'll, I'll save them for future potential episodes. Mm, I gotcha. Um. Well, for mine, I have three movies to recommend. Oh, yay! Because the Ocean's Eleven movies, um, Ocean's Twelve and Thirteen, are on Netflix, oh. and so you have to find your Ocean's Eleven somewhere else. Good music, um, but yeah, those movies are great. Have you seen all three of them? I haven't seen all three of them. I think I've seen Ocean, the first Ocean's, the second, and then I saw the Ladies. Okay, did you like the Ladies? I felt like there was no conflict. Yeah, there was, it was zero, so bad. <laughs> there was zero conflict. Those ladies were so capable. Yep. So so capable. Not even not even a blip. Like everything went perfectly, and that's not fun. And it was way too jokey in terms of like there was some joke about Tinder or Twitter or something that left a bad taste in my mouth but <laughs> it just the whole thing felt really jokey and it felt like there we have to be no really in your face conflict. there was zero nobody had to change learn nope. or do anything at least in the first oceans they do run into snafus like yeah. they do run into issues and at the end of the day danny ocean does have to humble himself to get his wife back right right like he has to it like I, I can't, maybe I can't speak about the women's oceans movie, but so the first two you think are good. I think the first three. The first three. Yeah, yeah. Oceans 11, 12, and 13 are all great. Um, I watched them in reverse order for some reason. Interesting. But, um, yeah, I think as heist films, they really hit the mark. I think they all have pretty satisfying mm, endings. I love a good heist film. Yeah. it's uh, But yeah, that first movie, Ocean's Eleven, man, just all those actors together on screen having fun. Um, a lot of the humor is really subtle. And uh, they really let the characters kind of take over. And um, there's just a lot of cool, interesting filmmaking and tricks going on. I think Steven Soderbergh is really, yeah, no, he's really he's, good at what he does. <laughs> I mean, you can see why Magic Mike was such a success. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. If you haven't seen them in a while, go back All right. give them a try. No, I, I definitely would do that. I feel like he does really good, like... Um, uh, like trolley shots or like tracking shots mm -hmm. where you have to like track a character moving like right. from the side or something like that. 
Uh, and then, yeah, all the incidental music in mm-hmm. the oceans. It's, like, very, like, characteristic of the movie to where, like, if I heard it elsewhere, I'd be like, oh, somebody's watching the Oceans movies. Right. Um, yeah. Anytime, like, a commercial pops up, um, if I'm watching hockey or something, there's this one commercial that pops up for, like, AT&T where this family is is all having their family night and then the parents go to leave and all the kids bust out their tablets and internet equipment and then the mom like blocks the internet as they're about to leave and she's like that'll show the kids and all the kids are like oh oh you parents you blocked us <laughs> but the music is very oceans Oceans-y. Yeah, yeah yeah so every time i watch that commercial i'm like "Ooh, the kids are getting a heist together <laughs> Like a like a bass line and a jazzy flute. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it might even be the Ocean's Eleven song. I don't know. But yeah, so the music is um music is memorable. And I really like Brad Pitt, man. I I think Brad Pitt's a good actor. I do like me some Brad Pitt and yeah. some George Clooney. Now they've yeah. they've got some some of our pretty boys. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just pretty though, you know, they really they really do a good job in those movies. No, they do. No, I, I definitely, it's, it's been some time since I've seen them. I, I want to watch them again. Yeah, I definitely would say Ocean's Eleven is the strongest. Ocean, the first one? Yeah. I mean, because you got Andy Garcia, right? Like, yes. Or is he in the second He's one? in the second one for a few scenes, and he's in the third one for a few scenes. He's really good in the third one. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because doesn't he become an ally in the third one? Like, mm-hmm. the yeah. enemy of my enemy yep. is my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, They got to team up to take down the bigger jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, then. I guess we should wrap it up. Yeah. All right, mates. Good day. Good day, mates. <laughs> Go put some shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.